Welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, hosted by me, Coach Ben Rosario, featuring the Hoka NAZ Elite athletes, and from time to time, a special guest from the world of running. We talk training and racing, but we also just talk, and we go way deeper than just running. The Midday Treat is your chance to get to know us as people, so follow along and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, check out this episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the podcast. This is a different podcast today. We're, we're interviewing Ben Bruce, but not about a race that he ran and not about a race that he's going to run. We're actually interviewing him about a race or a set of races that he went and watched uh, last week at UTMB in Chamonix, France. So, Ben, we really have to tell the audience what this thing is all about because I'm sure there are people listening that are very familiar with it. But then if there are people listening that are, you know, super track and road fans, they might not have any idea what this thing is. They might have seen it, but they really don't understand. So what is UTMB and how did it come about that, that you went to this event? Yeah, so UTMB is, stands for Ultra Trail Mount Blanc. Um, that is a lot of times referred to as the whole weekend, but the main event is the Ultra Trail Mount Blanc, which is a 170-kilometer race that circumnavigates the entire Mount Blanc. Uh, and so it actually goes France into Italy, into Switzerland, and back to France. Um, now, during the week, they have a bunch of other races. They have a 100K, the, um, they have a 55K they have a youth race. This year they added a shorter 15K race. They even do a, uh, for the volunteers of the race, they do a 40, 40 to 42K race. So the volunteers that they want before the week kicks off. If they want. If they want, can do this uh, very hard, basically, marathon on the trails that, uh, and these are still really good uh, runners that the winner was, I think, just under five hours for oh a marathon. So it's an, it's an entire week. Uh, they also have the TDS, which is a slightly shorter than the main event. It's like 80-something miles, but it's pound for pound actually hits harder. It's more technical. It's more climbing per mile. Um, okay. And then they also have the PTL, which is an entire week. It's like almost like an orienteering type of event that is, I think, 200-plus miles where you work in teams of two or three. And that one is is gnarly. Like they the the gear checklist on that. They need helmets. They need all these things because they're on some gnarly things. They're going throughout several nights. Uh, so it is, it is a totally different world than the track. That's for sure. Okay. Okay. And and how how did it come about that you went? I we know that Hoka is a major major sponsor of UTMB. Not only that week, but the entire uh, year long series that they have. So what, what sort of what is Hoka's role, and then and then why were you invited? Yeah, I talked with Mike McManus um, throughout the years. He's always saying like, "I wish I could get you to come well, out." Mike's the global sports marketing director for Hoka. Yeah, and he's like always kind of mentioned in passing, like, "Yeah, you should come out and check it out," because he knows that I've kind of evolved through the sport of running track, running roads. But you know, I've run some trail races throughout my career, but they were all of the shorter distance. Like I would say, give or take an hour was where I felt I could be successful, and this is the totally extreme of going to the ultra is not only just the distance, but the actual course is really difficult. So we had talked um, throughout the years, and then my wife, Steph, actually reached out to him and was like, hey, Ben's turning 40 this year. Uh, it'll be, he's always talked about going out there, and Mike's like, yeah, let's have him come out, um, cause especially because this is the first year Hoka took over uh, such a big role in the sponsorship. And so they were kind of going big, and it was it was amazing to see all the, uh, you know, just seeing like the race shirts they're giving out with Hoka on it, because uh, it was a lot more, um, I would say, out there. And, and Hoka was founded in these mountains, basically. Like the idea of the big uh, maximal cushioning shoe came from the founders running up and down yeah, these mountains yeah. trying to be like, man, we need something to protect our quads a little bit on all these downhills. And, um, and a lot of those founders are still around the area. They still live there and um, they still run the trails. And so that's kind of how I got to go this year. So it was, it was kind of an interesting experience to 
go to a big, big race, but not not be racing it, not be pacing it, uh, just really taking it all in and doing all the activation uh, activities that Hoka had going on. So I just got to enjoy it and kind of help what when uh, things were needed. That's cool. So, and, and of course, you've been with the brand since 2015 when, when NAZ Elite uh, signed with Hoka. So it's... Um, it's a pretty long relationship in this world. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's cool that, that you've evolved and they've sort of evolved with you and now you're going out and doing something like this. Maybe later uh, we'll get to what this could mean for, for your future and different things that you're thinking about now, as you say, uh, that you're about to turn 40. But uh, let's let's go back to this week itself and, and really take people through what's going on there. When did you arrive? So I arrived on Monday. Um, I went straight from the Bahamas, so I came from the NACAC track championships. <laughs> so I'm watching races. I'm in the Bahamas, tra- traditional track meet, really great performers, um, you know, watching people ru- you know, run sub 10 seconds in the 100 meters, uh, my wife winning the 10,000 meters, and then all of a sudden now I'm in the mountains, in the Alps, where everything <laughs> is just so steep. And I mean, training in Flagstaff, we have the ability to find steep stuff, and I've explored the trails here. And this is just, it's amazing how quickly you just start climbing in elevation as soon as you leave the Valley of Chimene. And that goes for all the other surrounding valleys. It's like most of the valleys sit 3,000, 4,000 feet above elevation, but you can get up three, 4,000 feet very quickly. Uh, so yeah, that, that's where I had come from. And I got there Monday, the volunteer race. I got, the, I got to town just as the, the top finishers of the 40K volunteer race were finishing. So I made myself into town after getting off the bus, walked into town. I, I'd see all these videos of the finish line. And I'm like, oh, here, I'm here. And these people are finishing. And, um, and then I check into my hotel and I'm seeing kind of where people are, are finishing up. So I'm like, all right, I've just traveled a lot. So let's, I'm, it's always nice to go on a shakeout run. So I basically was just following the direction people were coming from because I'm like, yeah, if I follow them, I can't get lost. Cheering them on, it was really cool. The best I could, I mean, I don't know French very well and I know that it's a volunteer race, so they're probably primarily um, people that are living in France. And um, so I followed them and even getting to like their last descent of the volunteer race, I'm like, wow, this is like, this is no joke. So uh, that was Monday and Tuesday did a group shakeout run with Hoka. Wednesday morning, similar thing, group run, uh, shakeout run with Hoka. And then, um, yeah, just each day there's like, there's another event that kicks off and starts. And as the week goes on, it gets more and closer to the main event and the, the energy kind of builds. So, so yeah, paint that picture for me. First of all, what's the town like? The town is is awesome. Is it an Aspen type of town or a Breckenridge kind of town? Well, or what? It's Europe, so it's it's it definitely has a more European vibe. Like you see all these, um, you know, smaller hotels. I was kind of using the example like you go to New York City Marathon, and there's fifty thousand people that participate in that, and it's obviously a, a, a big vibe. But you think about big hotels in in New York City; they can house thousands of people but in in Chimene there's all these small little hotels and so everyone's kind of out and it's like a condensed area Um, but then it's also a very tourist town so there's people that are just there have no idea UTMB is going on like I stumbled across like a one of the ski resorts there and they had all these you know alpine slide all these kids games and I'm like oh my boys would be having like the greatest time here Uh, so it definitely it could have a vibe of like a, a typical mountain town in the U.S. It's just definitely more European villas, just as far as the architecture and the buildings. Yeah. Um, but it is a very mellow feel. Like when I got back to Phoenix after all my travels, I was like outside the airport and people are honking. And I was like, <laughs> I haven't heard a car honk their horn in a week because it's just a little, it's just a different vibe. Like if you're going into these small mountain towns, it's just like, you know, you're going to have to stop and wait for people. Um, So seeing the difference of people just like out on their regular runs and they have their packs on and their poles and I almost look out of place because I'm just like, well, I'm going to go run for two hours maybe. Like, I don't need all this stuff. I have like a gel stashed in my pocket in case I like get lost or something. And um, yeah, so it's it's a very, very nice vibe. When I saw pictures throughout the week, and of course they were all over the place, it, it, it had a feeling almost as if it was an outdoor festival. So you might compare it to a week-long music festival in a mountain town here in the United States. Is that sort of along the right lines? Yeah, a festival is a good way to, to describe it because you think of something, going back to the New York City example, that race is one day, 
and it's you know it starts in the morning and everyone is basically done that day where this there's races going on and and as the races get longer there people are finishing in the middle of the night like my hotel was right off probably about five six hundred meters to go where they finally have made it back into town so some nights i'd get woken up by people cheering on probably friends or family and i'm like that's <laughs> two in the morning and it's like it's a better thing to get woken up than just like your loud roommate or a loud um like person that's sharing the wall with you in the hotel so a festival is a good way to explain it they're very they're very with this big event they're very conscientious of the environment like the whole expo was all everything was that was made of was like wood uh even the big hoka like pop-up stand was all made of wood that they could take back down and rebuild or recycle even the porta potties were these like wood uh, porta potties um so yeah it was very uh conscientious of that like it's a coupless event. So yeah, it was a big festival, but like also a lot of people getting ready to run really long races. So not like a out of control music festival. Sure, sure, sure. Is it, I'll tell you this too, from the pictures and just from who I know was there, um, you get the sense that these fans now are coming to this event from all over the world. Um, Speak to that a little bit. Yeah, and Flagstaff's an easy one to use because there's events that so many people from Flagstaff go to because they just follow that part of the sport. They love living in the mountains and they love seeing other mountains around the world. The amount of people that from Flagstaff I didn't know would be there would be there. Like uh, Bob Tuso, who's on our board, he he messaged me a day after I got there. He's like, oh, we're staying in this town, you know, four miles away. Um, Like Molly um, Seidel was there. Des Linden was there. uh, Like... And it's just, it's almost nice to see those familiar faces. Like when I had first got there and I'm walking around trying to get my bearings and my, my international phone wasn't work, plan wasn't really working. So I was just like, ah, oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll stumble around until I find the hotel. And I run into like Josh Cox. He's just yeah, sitting there waiting because yeah. when they had just got to town and two other ultra runners like were like, oh, we got to take Des on this 25K loop, which took them like three and a half hours. So it's yep. like loops are everything there is not about like the distance it's about like oh how kind of how much time this will take you get yes. so ingrained of like i'm like oh if i do an eight mile easy run it's going to take me an hour give or take and here it's like i just did a six mile run ish type of thing that went up like the vertical k and it took almost two hours because you're just yeah. stumbling up this mountain and also stumbling down it yeah um yeah so it, it definitely is international i, I use flagstaff but yeah like you know different brands brought their whole crew out and uh so yeah it's really has that vibe where as e- with each year it's almost like you got to be in Chamonix in that's the, right in august like well and, and i really want to dig into this but there's there's something to that festival atmosphere that week-long atmosphere it's almost like there's two ends of the spectrum right it, on one hand when you're talking about sporting events Our attention span is short. So when we're talking about television, for example, Major League Baseball trying desperately to to get their games to go faster. You know, they're taking three and a half hours, four hours is too long. People are losing interest. There's too too much inaction, right? Not enough action. And so they're trying to make things shorter. But then you talk about an event like this or you talk about, let's be honest, the most most impactful – track and field event every four years in this country is is the olympic trials which is a 10-day event yeah and it's huge and tons of people come to it and there's tons of eyeballs or the olympic games right from a global on a global scale that that track and field meet if you will is 10 days and it's huge and it's everything um so it's interesting to think about okay well what what are we supposed to be doing here are we supposed to be making it as short as possible or are we supposed to be doing this sort of festival thing and making it a week-long uh, party. Uh, I think there's probably a place for for both. Uh, but I would say, even though you mentioned some of the people that are in the industry, there w- like Bob Tuso, he, he just went. Yeah, That was his vacation. Yeah. Brad Lowry and Maria Elena Calle, who, who you know, um, they were there. Just They just went to watch. Yeah. And especially because you have the people racing have their crew. So there's a lot of people that are there Yep. Um, just to take, take it all in. And because... <clears throat> Because you have this in-between time, like races are going on, you can't view it all, but you can view sections. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
people worry less about that. And the, the trials is a good example that goes 10 days because the people that are there to watch, they have like their three hours of the day that they go to the morning session or there might be two sessions that they go watch track and field mm-hmm. and they love that. But then a large part of it is just hanging out. That's right. Um, and there's people, some people there with the different brands and they're working their butts off because they're filling all these things. But then like the trials, the the top athletes, they're also there to do a job. They're right. there to do a thing. And then... There's also other people there that that finishing is a big deal. And when you think about like finishing a road marathon, yeah, that's still a tall task. But then you compare it to this and it's like that just takes it even to like a next level. Like there's you're not really able to fake getting through Mm -hmm. these types of long races. And so I think that the people that are there are knowledgeable of that and they can appreciate the effort. They can they can feel when someone has a tough day and. It's it, the percentage is like, oh, but you were 80% done and you had to drop out. It's like, well, you said 20 plus miles to go. You, if, if you're totally done with, you can't, you can't get move. another, you can't yeah. move another 20 miles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, I don't know. There's no right answer. Sports to sports are different and, and tracks different. Cause you think about like the hundred meter, the race itself is so short, but it's the buildup. It's them getting yeah. into their blocks. If there's a false start, like all this happens for such a quick thing yeah. where this is almost like the races are. The opposite, they're so long, there's stuff going on while these people are racing. That's right. And I want to get into the actual play-by-play of what it was like to really, in a a real uh, committed way, watch a race that takes over 20 hours and kind of go through your night and day with with Mike and with the gang and and what it was like watching Jim and and all of those things during UTMB. I'll, I'll just say that... Yeah, when you think about it from a fan's perspective, you're not going to fly across the world to watch a race that takes two hours. But you will fly to spend an entire week at a festival where you get to see multiple races. And that's why I think the World Cup, the Olympic Games, the, in, in this country, the, the, the track and field trials, uh, or of course UTMB is really attractive as a getaway vacation uh, situation, whereas you know a baseball game, a soccer game in a vacuum, one one time that that's that's going to be regional. You know, you're mm-hmm. not going to make an entire trip out of seeing one two hour game. And so again, I think there's place for both. But what this is is really special, really cool, and you could feel that uh, on social media. But it's cool to hear it from you, uh, someone who was there. Um, now, as the week went on, speaking of build up, what? What is it like? I mean, you, you talked about all these races. It is it all leading up to UTMB? Yeah, the order of the races is starts off with PTL, which is the like I said, the most gnarly. It's two hundred plus miles. It's like a, it's like an, it's an exploration. Like you're, it's you have to kind of make everyone needs their maps because they need to make sure they're not getting off course, and the course isn't going to be marked as well as the shorter courses. Because how do you mark two hundred plus miles of trail? Mm-hmm. Um, so that like starts and those people after a few days start to finish, but then it kind of goes in order of shortest to longest. So like when the 55 K was going on, I mostly followed that on the live feed. And then as they were getting closer to chime a, went back out, went on the course to kind of see some of the people finishing, um, even the hundred K cause it starts on the other side of Mount Blanc. So some people would go to the start, but um, you, you, I was for me personally following it, it less because we were kind of gearing up for the main event. Um, so yeah, it does, it does build. And, um, but at the same time, the people that are crewing or have someone that they came to watch are in those other events, like that is their focus. So this, yeah. there still are lots of people out on courses for those. And to your point of like a festival atmosphere, most people there do enjoy running, hiking. So they would do their runs. Yeah. Either when yeah. a race kind of wasn't going on, you yeah. go find a group of people and you go explore, or you go out onto the course yeah. and you run several miles to get to a point to cheer, and then you might run a few miles and cheer someone else on. But for the UTMB, you're kind of to get to point to point because it is like they're going around the whole mountain. Like we drove, I was in France, Italy, Switzerland, and back in France in this <laughs> short period of time. Yeah, you, we drove through like the long tunnel that goes underneath the mountain. It's like. I don't know, 10, 8, 10 miles long. No way. Yeah, to get to Italy, and you're, I'm standing in Italy. At, yeah, I, we can go to like the whole, should I go through this? Well, store? give me, give me yeah, one second. Yeah. I have one more question before you really get into this play-by-play because I think this is part of the context of, of describing the, the play-by-play. What was the hype like for Jim Walmsley and Killian Journey? Because I feel like as a bit of an outsider that's learning more and more as each year goes by, 
I feel like these two are just giant superstars in this sport, almost applicable to, granted, a little bit different scale, but Ronaldo and Messi in soccer or LeBron and Steph Curry in basketball. I mean, they just seem like, in a town like Chamonix this, this week, that they couldn't even walk around. Yeah, it's totally true. And, and that's another thing about when you have people in a small area, it, you don't need hundreds of thousands of people around to make it feel like a crazy big event. Yeah. Because the people that follow ultra running, yeah. they know their stuff. Yeah. Like if you pulled, you know, a thousand people running a major marathon in the U.S. about some of the top people, there's a pretty large percentage that wouldn't know. And that's not a, they have their own things. They have their own things they're made, motivated for. But probably almost every single person there knows Killian and Jim, or at least one of them. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's such a great rivalry because in Ultra, I feel like there's a, even the biggest rivals have to have some sort of camaraderie because you might find yourself out with someone that you might want to beat, but it's two in the morning, it's yeah. dark, um, and you're like, well, if this person's with me, I'll run a few hours with them. I'll, yeah. I'll take the company. Yeah. It's um, like you see with the decathlon. Yeah. There's such a... There's such a camaraderie, there's such a respect for one another because the the event itself is so long and yeah. so difficult, you can't help but have that sort of respect. Yeah, and I'm sure there are some people within any sport that hate each other, <laughs> love each other, are better friends, and that's innate. Like, people I raced against, like in the steeplechase all those years, some of them were really good friends. Yeah. I would hang out with them. Others were competitors that I didn't know really and some just i never i don't know why but just never talked to them and yeah. maybe they were had their own little way of things and, and that's how people are in competition some want to talk to their competition others are like the only way for me to do my best is to yeah. to be it's me against get, get, every, it's yeah me get, against get a little bit of a chip else. on your shoulder yeah sure and um sure. so yeah it is in jim coming from the american side of things and you know when he wins western states i'm sure the europeans are like well a race like this, like that's barely even a tough course because UTMB is completely, it, like my a good comparison. I know they're slightly different in distance, but they were a uh, hundred miles versus one hundred and six miles. But the waiting time of UTMB is usually six to seven hours longer <laughs> than Western States because yeah. of the way the course goes. Same quality of field, probably most years a better qual like depth of field at UTMB, um, but it's taking them that much longer because of how much more difficult. The courses. Well, well, that's good context as well because we need to understand that you're about to watch a race that's going to take 20 hours, give or take, and we know that all these different things are going to happen, and we know that Jim has specifically moved to France. This has been well documented in the ultra trail world. Hoka and Wahoo partnered on a wonderful YouTube uh, documentary, two-part documentary about Jim and his wife. I think wife. there's going to be a third part oh, okay. coming out post-race. Uh, okay, gotcha, maybe gotcha. I don't so far, maybe. So far, two-part documentary uh, about Jim and Jess moving over to France. And he moved over there because he was tired of losing UTMB. Mm -hmm. He had really struggled at that event. And according to interviews I've watched... It, in his mind, it's much what you're talking about. It's it's not Western states. It's not as much running. It's a lot more hiking, a lot more power hiking, using the poles, really crazy descents. It's much more about the up and down and handling that than it is about how fast of a runner you are. Am I saying that right? Yeah. One of the perfect example was um, Ludo, who won the TDS race, which uh, which is earlier in the year, earlier in the week. That was the 80-ish mile race, which is more technical, like on kind of like more like. Some of the trails are more like sheep trails, like not very well manicured. He has run Western States, and I was talking to him the day after, and he won the race. And I was asking how his body was feeling. He said it was doing pretty well. And he said that something for, for him, Western States was actually harder on his body because you're running so much in Western States. Now, I'm sure there's parts of Western States that you might get to a power hike for a short period of time. But you're mostly running. Yeah. You know, when when Jim's won it in low 14 hours, Adam Peterman won it last year, I think around low 15 hours. When you do the math on 100 miles, that pace per mile is, it's running. Yeah. Um, where these races, the pace per mile, it, you, you're doing a lot of power hiking. So it, it's, it. but he is from the European background of growing up on a mountain, um, skiing in the winters. Like th these runners that do well in these They'll they might go a whole winter and barely run it all. They're just out in the outdoors skiing. They're still skinning, skinning. And, they're yeah. going up a mountain, skiing down it. Their their quads are so strong from just going down so much. Their aerobic system's good from being out there 
all day, sunrise mm-hmm. to sunset in the winter, taking every minute of the day to go just explore and have fun. Um, so yeah, it's, it is just the contrast of it is crazy. And, and that's where Jim was when he wants to win something and he commits to it and yet didn't work out this year as well as you thought. But in a lot of ways, I think he would, after decompressing, probably be like, I was more prepared in a lot of ways, Yeah. but it's also like, you can't control how good of a day other people might have. And we can get to those times yeah. of what other No, I want to go through so. it. I want to go through it play by play. And I should say that we're, we're hyping up and talking about the men's race only because uh, this year happened to be Jim versus Killian. There's a ton of really, really popular women in this sport as well. It's very, there's a lot of equality, I think. I mean, not necessarily in numbers yet, yes. but in terms of the stars. Of course, Courtney Dallwater, who's the big star, who's won this a couple of times and she's winning everything, wasn't competing this year. Well, and Courtney's a good example. Last year, she ended up finishing, I think, sixth or seventh overall. overall. Exactly. She just kept, as the race went on, she managed her injury so well. She just was passing all these top men that had a tough day and she was going through them. Yeah. Um, she is absolutely yeah. amazing. And, and it's, it's just, it's tricky. I, I talked to Jim a little after the race and it's also hard too, because like when you run a road marathon, if you do your training and you're, you're pretty honed into what you're going to do, I mean, you can know within a few seconds per mile mm-hmm. what to mm-hmm. expect. Yep. But on this stuff, whether um, running through the night versus running through the day, you can't, ex- you can't really do the math on like, oh, mile 21 should be that you can't yeah. do that. So you're, you're, you're doing your best to judge the effort, but you don't know if it's the right effort until hours later. Yeah, and if it wasn't the right effort, and you were <laughs> and you were burning more than you yeah. could fuel, you will pay the price. And when yeah. you pay the price, you don't give away ten seconds, fifteen. You give away minutes per kilometer, several minutes per kilometer. So yeah, we can. That's, <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. That's great. This is great. Okay, it's really set up well now. Last question: How many Hoka athletes were in this race? So how many people are you guys kind of following on more of a personal level? So there was 36 Oak athletes through all the events. Okay. I But what was kind of cool is I think 17 of them were running UTMB, Got the main it. event. Got it. Um, so it's a mix of men and women. Mix of men and women. Um, we had, you know, it's like anything. You, you want your results to all be amazing. Um, I don't know what each person really thought of it. You, you also, as a realist, know that there's going to be people that drop out that were ready to go. People that dropped out that are going to be like, yeah, I... I kind of knew going in, um, people are going to have overperform. Like yep. I feel like Erin Clark, who's new to the scene, she ran the hundred k uh, the day before the race. She was, you know, she was very like respectful of the event. She was trying to run smart. She's like, I want to start out kind of back. If I can finish uh, before midnight, uh, that would be awesome because their race starts at eight in the morning. And she's like, and if I was top ten, it would be awesome. She ended up finishing, I think, seventh. And she ran like she finished like before eleven p.m. So she finished a whole like hour and a half ahead of her kind of like goal. But I think she was for her first time making a a reasonable goal that was great that she yeah. was ahead of that. Totally. So and and I say that going in because people who are listening they know what it's like to follow a marathon. Let's say and you put your people on the tracker yeah. and you know who you're following and you're following this person and this person and you're a fan of this person. You put them on there. So you got all these athletes that you're following. You're going around with Mike the global sports marketing director of Hoka that we mentioned earlier. So just take us through this thing. When does it start? What's your day like as a fan following this thing? Yeah, so the last two days there is really when it gets crazy because the 100K starts on Friday morning, 8 a.m. Okay. And so those those top finishers are going to get in that evening, but after the UTMB starts. So the UTMB, UTMB starts at 6. 6 p.m. So okay. the UTMB starts in the place where the, the all the races finish. Okay. And... You would think for a super long race, they'd be like, okay, let's keep this mellow. You guys got a long ways to go. No. <laughs> the, the entire town square is jam-packed. I mean, yeah. Hoka had a little stage built that we were at least up on. but And they're getting people jacked up. They're like doing this dramatic music and like starting a clap where it's like boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. Boom, boom. And then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they send all these people off of all this excitement. So hyped. And then you know, like a half mile down the road, they're just getting on like the, the first four or five miles of it is uh, kind of like a wide trail because they, they have thousands of people they're trying to let spread out before they start the first climb. So you know there's all this hype. And then a mile down the road, it's like sets into the runners that are like, okay, business is what it is. And I think those that's one thing Jim did differently. Um he, we couldn't even see him at the start. He yeah. like he wanted to be out of the spotlight. He mm-hmm. was like 
like even some of the, like the main Hoka employees are like they were like almost worried like where is Jim uh, yeah. because he's run this race before too so he had certain things that he strategized like he usually runs the first part and then when it starts to get dark he changes into tights but he's like oh that takes me a couple hours he's like I'm just gonna start in tights okay I'm just gonna start in tights I'll, I might be a little warm the first couple hours but then I'll don't have to make that change so so yeah the race kicks off at six and all this hype happens it takes probably 10 or 15 minutes for everyone to kind of clear out the area um i we i mike and i meet up and his wife laura and we um mike's like well let's grab some food and you know we're going to be out there for a while um so it's also those are things are funny you're like yeah let's grab let's grab a little not like little to go stuff to take with us um we get in the car and and mike's been here several times so he's driving around like no gps like he knows where he's going um and we get to we go basically to rock about the 20-ish mile mark um and hoka has this huge light show set up in the middle of nowhere, a big light tunnel, uh, and it and Jim and Killian got there just as the sun was setting. Yeah, I got it was really cool. Like the first time I saw Jim was right as he clicked his headlamp on. Oh, that's cool. So and it's like it's a lot going on. So I'm not sure if like Jim would recognize me. I mean, Jim lived in Flag a long time, and not that we trained a lot together, but you come across paths, and yeah. I paced him when he when he uh, went after the 100k road world record, and so. I see him and I, you know, how you, go, how you doing? And he said, good. And there's like some people running behind him, which you're not really supposed to do, but um, you can't really stop people. And I think as long as it's not someone that's directly related to the person, it's kind of like no harm, no foul. It's mostly yeah. respectful. And I just tell Jim, I'm like, hey, get ready for the excitement. Cause it's like, he, does, he probably doesn't know this oh, big this light tunnel's coming, coming up. Yeah. And it's like all the, like so many of the Hoka employees that are there yeah. are there. And so, of course, when Jim comes, they're gonna oh, be, they're going to be, and Jim, nuts. Jim does the like, uh, you know, like wings, like time, because it's like time oh, yeah. to fly. So he does like his wings Airplane going through the thing, tunnel. Yeah. And so the employees are like, that's all great. And um, at that point, the race is still pretty and close He's together. in front? Him and Killian are leading. Okay. Um, but at that point, like people are every, you know, 30 seconds or a minute, people are coming through because. Yeah. It takes a while yeah, to spread out. It takes a while to spread out. And um, so you can't even really get a sense because someone could be in 40th place at that point, but relatively they're five minutes behind, which when you look at the results by the end of the day, five minutes is nothing. It's nothing. Um, it's close. Like, five minutes is close to someone. Um, so we, we watch, we, we're probably watched for about an hour after Jim comes through. And then Mike's like, all right, let's head back to, the, let's head back to Chime and A. Let's get a little, uh, maybe try to sleep. By the time we got back, we didn't really get to sleep because we only had like an hour and you're kind of like amped up. And at that yeah. point, it's like, it's like midnight or so. So we get back in the car. We drive under the tunnel now to um, Italy, <laughs> and we're in Comier, which is like a big aid station. Um, we're uh, and that's what I love about Europe, like Europe too. In the U.S., if you if, if like you have like a coffee shop and they have certain hours, they're gonna be closed. There's a big event going on. They're they don't care. No. Where this there's this little cafe in Comier that's just open. It's like a cafe slash bar. It's like what we get there like you know twelve thirty a.m. And you're like, what? It's, it's such a weird time of night. You're like, yeah. do I get a coffee? Do I get a beer? Do I get a Coke? Do I get a pastry? And like, you see some tables, some tables are doing both. Maybe a beer, then a coffee. Yeah, yeah like this yeah, one yeah. table, these two guys, I was watching them. They were like, just going like beer, coffee, beer, coffee. Because <laughs> they were waiting for people and p- different people are waiting for different Yeah, yeah, and, of course. And by the time they get to Coma Air, like, if you're following someone, you can't really follow that. And I'm sorry, what mile mark would that be? Th- that would be, so they got there around 2 a.m., so they've been running for eight hours. Um, I think it's probably... It's not halfway 40, yet. No, it's not halfway yet. So yeah. that's what's well, not halfway yet. They're running eight miles, yeah. they're not halfway. It's eight a, hours, It's yeah. the most calm, it's the calmest night. It's like getting a little chilly, but still really good weather. And the weather yeah. for the race was was really ideal. Um so you're kind of like following the tracker and you're like, okay, he's kind of starting to get close. And, and like Mike knows the, yeah, he knows the, the area. So we kind of are going up to get to a point like outside. And of it's the, pitch black. It's pitch black. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's, what do you have a flashlight or something? I mean, it's, a, the, it's still, we're in a town. So okay, there, are, okay. there is some, he's going to come through a town. He's going to come through a town. So they yeah. do these crazy climbs and descents and then they have to come through towns to get to the yes. next trail. To, yes. And you're, you're like looking at the course markings and it is, it's just so bizarre. Like they're crossing a street and then going like right through like the city center. Like there was one part um, at Comier where like the fourth and fifth place runner at the time, Zach Miller and um, oh, uh, Evans, the oh, British, Tom, Evans, Tom yeah. Evans, a British guy, they ran a lot of the race together. And they come up and they had to make like a weird turn to go over like a timing mat. 
And then they made another turn and they almost went the wrong direction and we yelled at them. And then we're kind of looking around like, this is a confusing spot. So it's like two in the morning, Jim and Killian have come through already and we've cheered for them. And um, so we make this like, we take these chairs and kind of make a little turn and be like, all right. Well, yeah, just you know, help them out. Yeah. Of, yeah. So um, I have this thing that, like going through past this, like this store with like mannequins. It's like, yeah, go past the mannequins, make a left at the doctor's office and then you'll get back <laughs> onto a dirt path. And um, yeah, so in that point, most of the runners are still pretty conscious. Like, you can just tell, like, you know, you say something and they might say something back. And, um, like, even, like, Zach and, and Tom, they were like, thank you. Because they'd be kind of, like, yeah. they probably would have figured out pretty quickly. I mean, most, they have, like, their, their watches that are set to, to kind of the course. But parts of the little things change. So we see Jim get through there. And then it's and then it's all setting into me. I'm like, they're going to, like, they've already been running in the dark now for four hours. Yeah. And they're going to run another four or five hours in the dark. Yeah. And so we go back to our hotel. Uh, and we, we get like two hours of sleep, yeah. uh, which we actually eat to sleep and we get back up and then it's, uh, six 30 in the morning and Chris Hollis, another Hoka employee got in the car with us then. So the four of us are heading out to Champagne Lock, which is in Switzerland. And that is now, now you, you're getting at, they would be over 12 hours yeah. into the race. So they're definitely over halfway now. And Jim had kind of through the night around four in the morning, it kind of pressed a little bit. Um, and he got like a 12 minute lead. And then there was a French guy and Killian who were second and third. And they kind of were like on the hunt. And so, so much can change so quickly. So they come to the H station in Champagne Lock and we're falling on the feed and Jim has a pretty decent yeah. lead. And so we're up at the top of that climb and Killian comes past and the French guy comes past. Um, and then we're kind of like, okay, and then, like, a few minutes go by, and, like, Jim's not there. Like, that's weird. And then you start being like, what, you know, what happened? Yeah. And then, like, Mike was getting some report that he, he had, like, rolled his ankle or something. And you're like, oh, crap. Like, that's not good. Yeah. But basically what had happened is he just he just bombed right yeah. after that. He just probably didn't have enough food. So he lost, like, 20 minutes to these guys. Like, more than 20 minutes. Because he had a five-minute lead starting this climb. And he gets to the top 20 minutes down. Because yeah. going up, he just didn't have the energy to go up. So we're like, this sucks. But by the time we saw him, because it was at the top of the climb, he actually was looked like he was kind of had like gotten through that really dark patch and was moving well again. And it was the descent. So we drive down the road to the bottom of the descent, which they get to quicker than you would think. And Jim comes through there, and he's still only about 20 minutes down. So you're like, okay, he, he's managed the gap now, and he's able to descend. Um, but you could tell from seeing him the night before at 2 a.m., is emo like their emotions start to go and they start to get some of these runners like if they're not doing well it's just like it's like a ghost and Jim's parents and family were out there and he came up this little like steep road into this aid station and his mom's there like cheering him on I have this like video of it and it's like and I, I freeze this a frame because it's like you can see Jim almost like he's almost starting to cry because mm -hmm. he's probably like he's so, so emotional and he's probably seeing his mom that just could care less like what the result is. They're just like they want their son, they want their kid to just just do the best that he can. And yeah. and and his dad was out there and like the support of them was just like so great because like they're older and like it's not easy for them to be going on the course and they've been up for so long too. Yeah, they yeah, totally. Um, so he gets in the aid station, he comes back out. At this point, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of talking now from Jim. He's like he's in the dark spot, but yeah. he's like still moving pretty well. And um, his wife Jess was telling us when we we're leaving the aid station she's like it's like you have these like intense moments where you're cheering them on and then you like leave and everyone's kind of like okay and like they're trying to decompose and be like where do we think he's at how is he doing and um just like he had a 300 calorie like protein shake and he ate some pringles and we're like okay like he got <laughs> some food i'm like that's what mike even said going into the aid station he's like eat some food jim you just gotta eat some food like because yeah. you 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 can be in these dark spots, but you, you can come out of them. Yeah. So he comes out and he's doing okay. And then we go down to, which is basically the last main aid station, which is 153K. So they have 17K left. Okay. And when we got there, I knew I had some time. So I actually ran up the descent they were going to come down for about two and a half miles. Yeah. And the same thing. I'm just like, gosh, they're just coming down this. Like after they've been running 150 40 150k and this is what they're coming down yeah and i, I saw killian come by and his he had had a he had built his lead to about five or six minutes but that race was not over yet um and then i kind of came back down and we waited for jim and and jim came through and all after all the descents he seemed to be doing was he still in third he was point? still in third i see and i because I, what was happening like looking back because he was probably a little under fueled he couldn't climb yes the the, the going up because the energy that it takes was yeah. tough but the descent, 
even though it's so hard on your body, yeah. he could do the descents. I see. Um, and so he, he had, at that point, was the first time that Tom Evans and Zach Miller had finally gotten apart. But he said, like, 12 minutes on Evans at that part was 17 kilometers ago. He has a 12-minute lead yeah. on Zach it, or on Tom and then probably about 15 to Zach. Um comes out of that aid station uh jim's brother had made the mistake he'd kind of gone over like on this like by this railroad track and he got honked at and oh. the conductor of the train came out and oh. yelled at him in french like not probably not nice things yeah but it was also yeah it was probably not probably not the best choice for him to be in a foreign country and go on to the railroad tracks but um so it was just but people are just like so in, invested at that yeah. point that they're just like losing they're yeah because like you're kind of losing too. it too yeah yeah but like when jim came out of the aid station you could tell it was just someone that was like this is not what I planned, you know, and you plan to win. But I think when you run those races, you also know that you, your planet can go down the drain pretty yeah. easily. But you get the de determination was there. He's like, well, I'm going to get there. Mm -hmm. um, so they have 17K to go, which doesn't seem like that long, but they have a really long, brutal, exposed climb, not a lot of tree cover. And it's yeah. not hot, but it's 70 degrees yeah. out. It's, it's hot when you've been running for a really, really long time. And um, so at that point, you basically just go to the finish, but you're following and you're just, you're waiting. They have a one checkpoint on halfway up the climb and then the next checkpoint is the very top. Mm -hmm. um, and that first checkpoint, Tom had already taken the 12 minutes back and put five minutes on Jim. So 17 minutes in a matter of probably five miles. Yeah. And um, there, you know, we saw some videos like after the race of Jim just going up that final climb and, and he's like, you know, he's wobbling and he's using his, you know, he would walk a few steps and then almost come to a standstill and walk a few. And but it was like he's like determined to get there. And then you're like, OK, is he going to even be able to hold on for fourth? And um, so he finally gets to the top of the last climb. I'm, I'm kind of following it on on the tracking. And to put it in perspective, one of the days from my hotel, which is right by the finish line, I ran the last descent up okay. and then back down. And that I'm not good at descending. It's a brand new trail to me. It's rocky. For me, to the top of that descent back to the finish, I was like 45 minutes, give or take. And like Killian ran faster than that in the race. <laughs> and this, now, yeah, I mean, 105 just, miles into the race. Being, and I yeah. was definitely not trying to take any risk, but it was still just like, he's doing that after all this. So Jim gets to the top. He he has about five minutes on Zach, but that means Zach has also closed way yeah, down a ton. on him. Yeah. So I rush out of my hotel and I run to kind of like where they finish the last descent. It's it's um, it's um, just it's just brutal. And then they... they Last thing, too, like they go across this road, but it's a somewhat busy road, so they've built like a, a walk bridge. Oh, so you get to the bottom of the descent, and you have to walk up like three, oh, two flights of stairs no. to go across and back down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point, um, we didn't know really where Zach was. So we're yelling at Jim, like, you just, you're getting, you know, you got like a mile to go. It's, it's mostly flat now. Um, but Zach had actually struggled way more than Jim on the I descent. See. So it was, it was the two spectrums. Jim was, his structure was holding up. His legs were holding up. He could descend. Zach was able to still climb, but he couldn't descend because his, his body was so shattered. Like, it, it, you know this would happen, like, but it was almost like one part of Zach's body had shut down. Like, he was, yeah. his left side of his body was just, like, being swung like a pendulum. It wasn't moving forward anymore. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was cool, too, because other people that race, like Stephen Kirsch that lives in Flagstaff, he had run the 100K the, the day before, and he was out there, and, like, probably great for Jim to see, like, a really familiar face that he spent a lot of miles with, and and uh, Kirsch just, like, high-fived him and slapped him on the butt and was like, you got this, man, you got, you, you'll you get there. And, um, yeah, so after all this craziness, it just, it finishes, and, and it's like, you, you the finish line's so crowded. If you choose to go out I on saw the, it on the, I mean, I was watching live yeah. when he finished, it was wild. And if you choose to go out on the course at all, you can't get back to the finish and see anything. It's just too yeah. crowded. Um, so I did, I was just like, yeah, I mean, I knew he'd held on for fourth, and at that point, you're like, you're just so wiped out from following him that I was just like, wow, like all the, the craziness is gone and it's like, you're going to go try to find Jim because he's got probably all the reporting and questions yes. being oh, asked. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like, he, and you know what he's gone through is like, let that guy, let that guy be alone for a little bit. So, um, but yeah, that was the, they didn't, yeah, Zach held on for a fifth. He almost, Zach almost got caught by a guy that was 15 minutes behind him at the top of the oh last line because he was in a better spot. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, cr I crashed out for a couple hours because I was just, <laughs> I, I was tired. I didn't even do any running, but I think that's a different, like when you don't have the adrenaline oh, yeah. of racing, it's, yeah. to it's totally different. Yeah. Um, and they prepare for this. They do, they'll go, they'll spend a whole night out exploring. I can't make it through a baseball to. game yeah. without falling asleep. You yeah, know, it's so, nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like, I think because I was like, we were following Jim because that was kind of the showdown. And I, I wish I could go back and like 
stay at each station and see other people come through because you do yeah. kind of that's one downside you kind of miss yeah you, some just, of the big moments yeah, yeah some you, of the special moments yeah i think you either choose to yeah, you kind of choose to follow who you're who you're, you're there to follow i wasn't necessarily there to follow anyone but mike was my ride and that's <laughs> who he we were following for good reason i mean jim's the he was the one that a lot of people were there to watch and um yeah and, uh, you know some of the other hoka athletes did did drop out and um so it was kind of a, a bummer that some of the other you know stars but it was a win for the brand yeah i, I mean I, just watching on the feed and watching social media seeing pictures from the the entire week the brand did an amazing job yeah and on these races too like jim probably and he paid the price but he also knew it was his strategy to kind of keep the pace yep up early because when jim's had his worst races when he when he does what other people do mm -hmm. and he did what he what he does mm -hmm. and it didn't work out all the way but the two winner, the top two men were the. It was the first time the winners broke twenty hours. Yeah, it's never the, the record before this was twenty hours nineteen minutes. Yeah. So Tom Evans, that was third, was twenty hours thirty four minutes. He was fifteen minutes off the fastest time ever run, and he finishes like kind of a distant third. Yeah. Like forty minutes back. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like there's, it's like any race, but I think more so in these, you can be ready to go. Jim's performance still could have won on a lot of years, yeah. um, especially if, if he was out with the big lead and the, and the lead was getting bigger without impressing. Maybe he doesn't press as hard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it, was, uh, it was definitely an experience to, to be a part of, especially coming from, yeah, a big track meet where it's, like, yeah. totally, it's different. totally different. And then on top of that, you have all the rest of the, the field. The cutoff time is 44 and a half or 46 and a half hours. Oh, my so, gosh. So the night, you think about, like, the top runners, they go, they run through the night. Yeah. But they finish in the afternoon, the second day, even really the tip top, top hundred, they're finishing like before it's getting dark, you know, after yeah. 24 hours of running. But then, so 90 plus percent of the field, they're running through most or all of a second night. Wow. Yeah. So now they're night two. Yeah. Um, they give... They give. They have a whole pack of like mandatory stuff they have to wear, but they also give a card to the athletes that says like I'm sleeping. Don't like I'm okay. I see. That if if they're along the trail in between eight stations and they're like I just need to lay down, they're supposed to put and it's, it says it in Gosh. like ten different languages. What a different because, thing. Because yeah, because ultra runners like the camaraderie is like if oh you yeah. Saw someone yeah, laying yeah down, you're you not would, you would check of on course, them. But of if course. they have if they put the sign on their pack that says I'm okay, I'm just sleeping, then you're like, okay, like we'll let them grab a couple hours of sleep. Yeah. Um, but those are things you just never even think about. No. But the race has, does all that stuff. So so good, yeah. Ben. So good. Well, I wish we could talk about some of the things you learned and took away from, from the business side, but I know you got to pick up the boys, so I'll just throw a couple real quick ones at you, uh, more, more related to you and, and people you know. So uh, did this make you want to run an ultra? Yeah, I got that question a lot out there. And my response is like, I'm not against running an ultra, but this race would not be on the top of my list because of the the sheer ups and downs. You have to prepare in a different level, a uh, different world. Like if, if I went to an ultra, it would be, you know, I'd try to find something 50-ish miles that is runnable. Uh, it could be on the trails, but it would need to be like more smooth trails. I know like Sonoma is a pretty smooth, it's hilly, but it's smooth running. Yeah. Um, Someone like something like a Comrades has always kind of piqued my interest a little bit. That's a road fifty-four. It's a double marathon, pretty much. Um, but yeah, you're you're it's running. Like yeah. I, when I paced Jim at the hundred k, I went fifty k, and that was three hours and four minutes. But we were running like the same pace throughout. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, this this would not be the top of my list. Um, but it's also like I think when you're at these things and it's it's such a tough terrain, it's like I wouldn't want to do it. But part of you is like, but I wonder if I could just complete it. Yes. Like not try to be yes. it, but just try to complete it. So well, I guess it was it was, it is or started as a hiking trail. It yeah. was a fa it's a world famous hike. Yeah, because it goes around this yeah. sheer. And of course, it takes people over a week. Yeah. to hike it. But uh, okay, so that's good. Good answer. Um, two two women, Des Linden, Kellen Taylor, could they run UTMB? I mean, there's no way of knowing. I know Kellen. Better than Des from like I know that Kellen runs around Flagstaff and she loves to run these trails and so potentially but she would it's just like the descending of they trails. both seem so strong yeah and it's like the descending of trails here here is is totally different than there and I know Des did a bunch of running out there and probably got a feel for it and and I think that it can help like Des is um, she's shorter which is I think can help when you're like lower to the ground your center of gravity is lower which I really yeah thinks helps Makes sense. descending Makes because. Sense. 
not that tall, I mean, not that tall runners can't be good in the ultras, but I always feel like with the longer legs, higher center of gravity, you're just like, you're farther off the ground yeah, yeah. and it's tougher to do. Like some of the, some of the top women like Ali McLaughlin and she ran the 55k and she kind of struggled the last 10k, but she's just amazing going down, yeah. just yeah. putting their feet where they need to go. So I think if you took 10 to 25, give or take women marathoners, maybe one yeah. Is successful that's how hard this. it is. That's how because different it is. It's, it's so different. Yes. Um, yes. But you could. There could also be a woman that could struggle to break three hours that could be good at this uh, totally. because they're they're used to being. And their physiology stuff. is different. And, yeah. And all sorts. Because of sometimes the runner that is good at running a road marathon, they're used to burning their sources quicker because you don't really need. You know, you even if you burn through stuff quickly, you take a few gels in a marathon, you're good to go. Yeah. But here it's like it's fueling. Like one of the aid station, I saw a picture of Killian eating Martin out of a bucket. Like a oh, he was just eating it with a spoon. Yeah, because it's like you get these aid stations, and it's like you're trying to get in five, six, seven hundred calories yeah. and get back. He's just out eating of the, the powder. No, 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 the gels. He oh, like, he's eating the gels. Like I see a, what you're saying. But it was like I he, thought he was just down in the powder. No, but he had a container of the gel that he yes. was just scooping out. Scooping. And That's so many calories. As if he was eating Jello. Just yeah, like, I got in four scoops. He probably got in four four hundred calories right there. So yeah, I mean, I'm not saying. I could, there's no way to say they could be successful, but I think that they would have to spend a lot of time. And I think someone like Jim's a good example. Everyone thinks he was like this overnight success, but if you dig into Jim's history and see some of his first ultras, he didn't have success. Yeah. You know, he went out and he went reckless of him and he totally crashed, but that was the way he liked to run and eventually he started to figure it out. So yeah. I think there's a big, big learning curve. Like, I don't think it's a type of sport that you can go out. And I say sport because I think it's a different sport. It's a different sport. It's a different sport. You're not just going to go out and have success right away. Um, so not saying it's not in the cards for them, but they would have to spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time because as you learn to descend, every time you do it, you get a little bit better, but yeah. it, it would take a lot of, a lot of focus. Got it. Okay. Last question. You're about to turn 40 early next month. Uh, what's in the future? You're going to do masters running? What, what's, what's the plans for Ben? I think I'll do some masters running with this being Steph's last year or the focus is on much on her, but I could see next year, um, I think I'll run club cross this okay. year in the Masters race. Oh, boy, look out. Look um, out. Yeah, so I, the Masters running will be – I'm sure I'll do it because if I'm pacing the women of NAZ Elite, there's no way I can't not be fit yeah. uh, fit enough to go give uh, kind of throw my hand in the in the races of Masters. So, um, yeah, I'm just – Steph and I, we, we're running nerds. We love the sport, so I don't see myself leaving it. I let the, like, elite – side of it go a few years ago and because I, I had a great career and I, I'm very proud of that um, but I still love to do it so it will be fun to get in some races where all of a sudden I'm like now the youngest out there yeah uh, so yeah I think that I'll probably start doing some more research on where all the races are and, and what ones are feasible I'm not going to be leaving my family every weekend to run a master's race but I'll probably circle a few every year and definitely over the next few years while I'm in my early 40s go give it a whirl awesome thank you Ben that was super cool appreciate it listening to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. I'm Addison Rosario, Coach Ben's daughter. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NAZ underscore Elite. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter on NAZElite.com. And stay tuned for the next episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite.